You're tuned to 99.5 FM, WBAI, WBAI WBAI.org, on the web. Coming up at noon will be the Gary Knoll Show, but I am so happy to be bringing to you Code Pink Radio. Jody Evans is in studio. Please stay tuned. Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes? They're in business together. Daddy Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before. Been raking in billions and itching for more. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say code war, we say code pink. Welcome to Code Pink Radio, where once a week we talk about how you can engage to create a more peaceful world, a healthy planet, and to create conditions conducive to life. My name is Jody Evans, and I'm one of the co-founders of Code Pink, and we are here on WBAI Radio, 99.5 FM in New York City, and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C., For those of you who are not familiar with us, Code Pink is a women's-led anti-war group that is organizing across the country to put an end to U.S.-funded militarism around the world. We are here to challenge imperialism, rogue capitalism, and war, and create a world of justice, peace, and equality. Now that sounds like a big task, and in truth it is because achieving justice requires each and every one of us to join together in solidarity and demand a better world. Thank you for joining us today. So we usually start with the news of the week, but um, today I wanted to start with some news we made yesterday. There's this group funded by Israel called United Against a Nuclear Iran, and they were gathering in their annual gathering yesterday in New York. There's such a powerful lobby that it opened with Secretary of State Pompeo. Then it was followed by a member of the EU from Poland, Ambassador Ron Dermer from Israel, uh, the Ambassador from Bahrain, Ambassador Dennis Ross, and the U.S. Ambassador to Germany. You get the idea. They, They can pull in the folks. So six of us arrived to listen to what they had to say, and one by one, People rose to disrupt the lies they wanted to drive us to war with Iran and the lies of where the U.S. stands in relationship to the peace agreement. The facts were distorted beyond belief and sometimes reversed completely. Pompeo said that attacking other nations and disrupting the global economy has the price. Talking about the sanctions on Iran, but... I wished he could look in a mirror and see what price does the U.S. pay for attacking other nations and disrupting the global economy. Three of us rose to speak while Ambassador Dermer was um, trying to say that Iran was selling oil to terrorists and not feeding their people instead of talking about how the U.S. sanctions were starving the people of Iran. But, you know, his argument revealed that it was about Iran being a separate economic power, and it had nothing to do with their nuclear capacities. The first activist was actually thrown to the ground by the security, and the other two were were dragged out. The last three of us were waiting for Sigal Mandelkar. Um, she's she was the um, late morning speaker. Sigal is known as the architect of the maximum pressure campaign on Iran. She's the one crafting the most severe sanctions ever leveled against a country, bragged Trump. Sigal's the undersecretary of Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. She's an attorney and a former clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas. In 2008, while she served in Bush's Department of Justice, she's the one who approved the notorious deal that allowed the sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein to escape federal federal prosecution. I was told by Seagal, Epstein belonged to intelligence and leave him alone, Alex Acosta, the former U.S. attorney who brokered the deal, told the Trump administration team. So now she says... 
Bad actors need money to do bad things. That is why we have massive sanctions regime. Because we know Iran is threatening our great partner, Israel. She spent the first five minutes of her talk saying Iran had weapons of mass destruction. But it's Israel who has them. So how can they be threatened by Iran? Even the Trump administration admits it's very clear that Iran is nowhere near a nuclear bomb. I was so upset by her constant lying and dog whistling to drive war that I leapt to the front of the room with my peace with Iran banner and told her there were no WMDs in Iran and that she knows it and she's lying and instead she's a weapon of mass destruction to the humanity of Iran and that she's killing people with sanctions and denying children the cancer medicine they need. I was of course dragged out but I have rarely been manhandled that extremely at any event and I've done hundreds of disruptions. They felt at ease that they could abuse us while abusing the people of Iran with their lies and fear-mongering, while they lobby Congress and administration officials and are obviously super close to Secretary Pompeo, who's now taken Bolton's place in the drive to war. We have an, an action at Code Pink this week to call out the presidential candidates to speak out against sanctions and the war on Iran. You can go to codepink.org and send them a message. Again, this is Jody with Code Pink Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 in Washington, D.C. We are just finishing a climate strike week. It's been amazing to be in the streets across the country with our war is not green message and to witness Greta with her great intelligence and moral compass um, that youth around the world can relate to who's brought new life and energy into a movement to end planet destruction. Which brings me to my first guest today. A superhero of mine, Lindsay Allen, is a lifelong Hellraiser, environmental human rights campaigner, and sailor. She brought Disney to their knees and effected such an enormous shift from the use of paper destroying rainforests that it resulted in Asian pulp and paper literally pulling out of Indonesia where they were destroying the forests faster than they were disappearing in Brazil. Lindsay is a brilliant strategist and campaigner and the executive director of the Badass of Corporate Campaigners for the Planet Rainforest Action Network. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for having me, Jody. So, Lindsay, Code Pink's been in the street across the country for Climate Strike Week, and so has Rainforest Action Network. Um, where have you been, and what have you seen and learned this week? Yeah, so I was in New York for most of last week, um, including for the student-led, youth-led climate strike that you just mentioned. Uh, I was also there to help shut down some of the offices of the big financiers of forest destruction and climate chaos. So J.P. Morgan Chase, which is the largest, the absolute worst banker of fossil fuels in the world, and BlackRock, which we know is the largest investor in Amazon destruction. So among, you know, while we were there for many of the protests and march in the streets, we were also shutting down those offices. I actually got home just yesterday in time to witness the a number of groups that helped to take over the financial district in San Francisco that shut down um, four blocks of a thoroughfare through Wall Street West, where there was an indigenous-led painting of the entire street, a mural that you could see from the air. Um, that Idle No More was leading. And then at Rainforest Action Network, part of our contribution in this mass action was to shut down for the entire day Chase Bank, which, as I mentioned, is, the, is a profiteer from, climate, from our climate emergency. And it was pretty incredible to see. I think one of the things that we're seeing right now is youth are speaking truth to power, and they're motivating all of us to be even more emboldened to call for what is necessary to really address the climate emergency, which is far more than what we're hearing from any of the leaders and politicians in the UN. And it's far more than any of the greenwashing that corporations are trying to commit to, to see what they can slide by with, um, without having to change their fundam fundamentally flawed models. So Lindsay, I mean, this is, you're the genius of this, going after corporations, and now you're going after Chase Bank. What, you know, what, what's, 
give us insight of what a strategy looks like when you're going after a bank and what you want out of that and all the ways you use it to educate people. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that was clearly demonstrated by the Occupy movement is that banks are not untouchable. Um, they should, you, you know, yes, they are propped up by governments, particularly the U.S. government, but banks need customers. Banks need brand reputation. They're all essentially offering the same service with very little differentiation between them. And so while their hope is, you know, no one look over here, we're just a money lender, we're just, you know, creating loans and, and offering financial services, the reality is that banks operate as the ATM for these really problematic industries. And about 10 years ago, Rainforest Action Network assessed, at the time we were working specifically on coal, uh, you know, something that we know we need to keep in the ground to address climate change. And we were looking at coal in Appalachia, where there's huge human rights implications because the when mountains are blown up, it contaminates watersheds. It's a huge toxic load that's put on the people who live there. So we assessed who are the banks that are funding the companies, the coal companies that are blowing up mountains in Appalachia. And once we got to a handful of companies, we exposed it and we started pressuring the companies and we would show up when they were talking, you know, just like you were mentioning the bird dogging that you were doing where you went on stage when all of these false narratives are being spun. We would do the same thing. We would follow the CEOs. We would um, go outside industry conferences and not let folks in. We would um, dump a bunch of coal to block the entrances to a meeting that they were trying to have or a board meeting. And once we got the banks to appreciate that they didn't want to be connected to mountaintop removal coal mining in Appalachia, we said, well, then why do you want to be connected to coal mining at all? Because these human rights abuses are connected to coal mining and the emissions from coal mining, um, once the coal is burned, this is not something we want anywhere in our global system. And so with that, we kind of went after the Achilles heel of the coal industry, which was mountaintop removal mining. When the banks cut the financing there, we went after coal mining. When Bank of America, about six years ago, after years of us campaigning on them and a whole coalition of folks that were really pressuring them finally said they were going to phase out their support for the coal sector. Then we see 35 more banks around the world do the same, right? Because no one wants to be left holding the bag. And the reason why that matters is because then when you get someone like Trump coming into office saying many terrible things, including that he's bringing coal back, we didn't see coal come back despite his best efforts, because there's no money to prop up these industries that aren't financially viable anyway and shouldn't be part of our human economy. And so we're trying to now expand that out. We have found that J.P. Morgan Chase, since they stood up in Paris during the Paris talks there about three years ago and said, yes, we want to address climate change, it's important, blah, 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 you know, they changed the light, the light bulbs in their building, but that's insufficient based on the impact they're having. Since that time, they have funneled $196 billion into fossil fuel companies, right? And that is completely, completely going in the opposite direction of what we know we need to do to try and stabilize the climate and to prevent the worst of this climate emergency that we're in. So the only way that Chase or any of these other banks, every year we do a report card so that people can see all the banks and what they're doing, it's at RAND.org. The only way that Chase and these other banks are going to move is if we force them to move. And I think that was another takeaway from New York is people are now really understanding the gravity of the situation. I think the youth leadership is amazing and it's boldening people all across, you know, all across the world. And when people turn out in the streets and are willing to interrupt business as usual, that's when we actually start to see really dramatic shifts. So that's awesome. So now we take from the streets and we start to target our energies at, at really these corporations. Um, is there something the listeners can do to help on this Chase Bank action? Absolutely. So if you go to RAND.org, um, if you sign any of our petitions targeting banks, 
um, then that kind of puts you in the pipeline for us to be in touch with you about actions, particularly if you're based in New York or in the Bay Area in San Francisco or in Minnesota, where we're really throwing down on the Line 3 fight, one of the big oil pipelines that's going to run through indigenous territories and is backed by Chase Bank. Um, if you're in any of those places, get in touch really soon because things are happening there all the time. Just yesterday, Chase opened a new branch in Minnesota that was immediately closed for the day with a die-in. Um, so we would love to have your support. Oh, wow. That's so inspiring. Thank you. First day, go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so Rainforest Action Network was founded in 1985 to stop the destruction of the Brazilian rainforest, and now Amazonia is on fire. Um, what What can you tell us about that, and what can we do? Yeah. So um, as folks know, we, you know, the, the fires in the Amazon, which are still burning and which happen every year, were to an increased scale, in part because the incoming president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, called for a day of fire. And he actually called for a day of fire a few weeks prior to when the international coverage started happening. And it is because he is completely invested in supporting big agribusiness in Brazil. So when these forests sweep through the Amazon rainforest, it does a couple of things. One is it's given Bolsonaro an excuse to militarize indigenous areas under the guise of firefighting. Two, it then clears the forest and pushes people out of these forests so that they can then bring in companies and big agribusiness companies can expand and prepare the ground for cattle ranching or soya. In most cases, um, we're seeing this happen for cattle ranching right now. And then three, Bolsonaro then benefits from the extreme profits that the agribusiness sector and the cattle slaughterhouses can make from then selling more beef and cattle and leather to both domestic and international markets. And that strengthens his, um, his funding base, his political support base. So what we need to do is we want to, just in, as we're pulling the financial rug out from under the fossil fuel sector, we want to pull the financial rug out from the agribusiness sector. We know that the largest investor, and this was research that our, our partner organization, Amazon Watch, which is amazing, did, um, they confirmed before the fire started, that the number one investor in Amazon deforestation is BlackRock. Now, BlackRock is all is, is all across our financial systems. Many of us, if we have money in a 401k or any type of retirement account, you might be investing in BlackRock. And so just as we want increased collective action on the banks, we want increased collective action on the investors who are fronting the money that will allow these um, land grabbers, these cattle companies, to really go into these burned areas, which incentivizes more burning. And it completely, we know this is part of Bolsonaro's platform because when he came into office, he said a couple of things, including that Amazon is open for business and we don't care that indigenous peoples are there. We can move them out of the way. We can forcibly extract them, which is a campaign of genocide. So if we don't want our money, our retirement accounts uh, supporting genocide and deforestation and um, more uh, carbon going into the atmosphere to make climate change worse, then we need to target these investors. With that, I would also say we need to turn out in the streets anytime Bolsonaro is talking about making trade deals with Trump, anytime he's speaking at the U.N. There was a beautiful act of resistance where we marched through the streets. Um, when Bolsonaro got into town, he was chased around by protesters as he was going to different events. So we need to continue this international pressure specifically on him as well. Whoa, that's so exciting that you were chasing him through the streets. Uh, what a monster. And this is so interesting, Lindsay, because, you know, just the other day we saw that Pompeo and Bolsonaro are creating deals between the U.S. and Brazil um, for the Amazon and and so I, you know, it's really a war. Um, this and it's what we talk about at Code Pink that, you know, war is not green and it's the biggest polluter on the planet. 
And here we have these, you know, these two, we really see the destruction of the rainforest as yet another act of war. Um, I could pink. we also have a black rock campaign. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's super scary about Larry Fink, who's the head of BlackRock, is he's out there speaking at all these investment conferences about being a socially responsible investor, while we know he's making what we say a killing on killing. Because here he is, you know, destroying lives in the Amazon, and he's the biggest investor in weapons. And we're going to hear more about that later because I'm going to have Nancy Mancius on. But is... Um, is there something people can do about um, BlackRock? It's a the problem with BlackRock, in, unlike Chase. Like Chase, you can go to a bank, and and you can cut up your card, and you can. But you know, BlackRock's a little more behind closed doors. Um, do we get on their Twitter feed and tell them they're making a killing on killing? What are some of the things we can do to irritate Larry Fink and BlackRock? Yeah, yeah. So. Um I think that it's really useful to just think about the, the menu of options that we can use anytime we're targeting corporations, because you're absolutely right that BlackRock is a little bit more in the background, but we can absolutely, yes, harass them on social media, interrupt them when they're trying to conduct business as usual operations. That's when they're speaking. That's when they're making announcements. Um, we can call their customer service lines. You can call your retirement uh, wherever your retirement is held, and ask, am I holding money in BlackRock? And I want to know what you're what you're doing to make sure that BlackRock is moving, or how can I get my money out of BlackRock? And individually, these things um, might not feel like they're adding up, but what we see is that over time, this is the collective pressure that it takes, along with going into the streets, getting this news out, um, you know, chasing Larry Fink around when he's going to speak. But this, uh, these collective actions together will at some point tip the scale so that it creates a risk if they don't really respond to activists and their other constituencies to make change that's commiserate at the level of, of shifts that we need, then, you know, at, at some point that scale tips, right? Because it's not worth the reputation, it's not worth, the, the civil war that can start within companies when different parts of the business or different um, staff members disagree about the direction the company is going. And so, yes, I think we're, as a result of the amazing support that people have given to organizations like RAN and Amazon Watch and others, we are looking at escalating this campaign. And so please do, you know, do any individual actions you can right now and then keep a lookout for collective efforts as well. So everyone can be that mosquito in the tent that Rainforest Action Network is. Yes. So I'm just going to put out the number. If anybody wants to call in and ask Lindsay a question, it's 212-209-2877. And in the meantime, um, you know, we've Greta's been on the news across the world bringing us awake and I, feel, I find people wanting to engage but feeling frozen as to what they can do. So what would it take to have solutions that meet the scale of the climate emergency we face? Yes. So it was interesting. I was doing a, um, I was interviewed on a news program two days ago, and it was during a protest when, you know, hundreds of people were out in the street. And they were hoping that I would, you know, it was a similar question, like, what can we do to address climate change? And I think what they were hoping for is that I would say, change your light bulbs and use fewer straws. I think we are far beyond the point of tinkering at the edges in order to make small changes. What we know is that banks in particular, the financial sector, is funneling money into fossil fuels that if things like pipelines get built, it means we will increase our dependence on oil. That's just one example, right? There are multiple oil pipelines that are coming down um, in, into the Americas, you know, across North America, whether it's in the U.S. or Canada. And we should get in front of those pipelines because every delay matters. Every delay makes a pipeline less financially viable. We should... Anytime there's an opportunity to turn out in the street, turn out in the street, right? Because companies are assessing and governments are assessing how much people care about this. 
So it matters when you march down the street. And then consider escalating your actions, right? We shut down Chase, the main Chase branch in San Francisco for an entire day because people were willing to come out and rotate in and out of a blockade to make sure that that bank was shut down. And there was another affinity group shutting down Wells Fargo just down the street. And there was another affinity group painting the streets of San Francisco with an indigenous message. So I think, you know, take the small steps and really think about what would it take to be uncomfortable to a level where my action is matching the scale of the challenge, which really is going after some of these big institutions. And then the one thing that I would I would just add, which is not what Rand works on, but is a really important part of the calculation, is we need Trump out of office. And this is based on, yes, terrible policies for the environment. And we need to make sure that we're turning out and getting candidates who will support drastic changes to how our financial systems operate and how we're regulating fossil fuels and, you know, turn out for candidates that are willing to take a firm stand on climate. So um, we have a friend who's doing that, right? Uh, stopping a pipeline and standing up against even a, a Democratic, you know, congressional member of 32 years, Doyle Canning. Um, are there Absolutely. Are there others like Doyle who who really like a mom who went to live in a in Eugene to have a quieter life and all of a sudden what does she do she wakes up and and you know the the local is political as we say in at Code Pink it's you know we need to be cultivating our local peace economies and if you dig in local you learn a lot about the levers you can hold to affect a bigger story and Doyle's really done that um, discovering that there's a pipeline that the congressperson is supporting going through Southern Oregon. Um, yeah. I think we are seeing, you know, based on this um, momentum that we have, we are seeing people who are willing to really challenge the political norms and the way that, you know, the political system operates in its business-as-usual approach. We need strong action on climate, which means stop funding fossil fuels through subsidies. It means stop allowing fossil fuel companies a seat at the table. It means stop taking fossil fuel money if you're um, an elected, you know, if you're running as a candidate or if you're an elected member of, of, you know, any of our elected leadership. And so, yes, I think Doyle is a great example because she's willing to say, you know, I'm willing to challenge a sitting Democrat who's been holding the middle of the line but isn't willing to stand up against fossil fuel interests. And we are seeing that surge all across the country. Uh, inspired by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar, um, really using, you know, looking at the feminine strength and power that we're seeing arising, you know, with Greta and her friends that have really, I don't know, I was in the streets and I've been in the streets for 50 years. It was so inspiring. I, I, walked for about a mile in the middle of hundreds of young people and I, I left a march that usually I feel pretty tired from happy inspired and energized so thank you for letting us know what we can do um how do people find you ran.org is that what you said yep ran.org and we're also on twitter instagram and facebook all right, so follow Lindsay, uh, get engaged, get radical. Don't leave the streets from this week. Just take it deeper. Thank you, Lindsay, for joining us so much, and thank you for all you do. Yeah, thank you, Jody. Great to talk to you. Bye.
what is it good for? Um, that's Edwin Starr, one of our Code Pink favorite songs. So now I'm going to bring in um, Nancy Mancias. Uh, Nancy's been a campaigner at Code Pink for 16 years and led some of my favorite campaigns, especially her years of taking on the war criminals and actually shutting down the book tours of George W. Bush and Rumsfeld. She's a creative activist and now works on our Divest from the War campaign and runs our BlackRock campaign, which we heard a little bit about from Lindsay. Nancy, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. It's great to be back. Thank you. So we were just talking to with Lindsay Allen from Rainforest Action Network about being in the streets this week and what we can do. And I just let's let's start with uh, how was it for you in San Francisco being in the streets this week? Well, let me just paint a picture for you. It was a beautiful San Francisco, California summer day. And there were about 15,000 of us marching in the streets, led by students as part of the youth climate strike. Um, The march route stopped at companies uh, which have contributed to the environmental destruction. Um, Like Lindsay was talking about, uh, we stopped off at BlackRock, which she had mentioned is the largest investor in uh, Amazon deforestation. And also the largest investor in weapons. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, BlackRock is the largest investor in weapons of war. And for over a year, we at Code Pink, we've been targeting, um, as you mentioned, Larry Fink and uh, BlackRock, making him and those around him um, uncomfortable. Um, During that uh, demonstration, um, what I've learned over time managing the BlackRock campaign is that if you keep working on the issue, that eventually others will join in. Eventually, people will start buying into the idea of a campaign. There there is this aha movement um, in the activist community, even for something that is uh, as complicated as uh, taking on the world's largest asset management firm uh, like BlackRock. So um, what did you do? Were you able to shut down BlackRock? What, what were you able to do that day? Great. So there were 15,000 of us marching, and we all descended onto BlackRock, as well as other companies, and we shut down um, the company, um, led there were groups of indigenous, the indigenous community, students um, were uh, chanting um, and painting on the ground and chalking on, on the ground as well. Um, it, was, it was really energetic. It was amazing, um, particularly the indigenous community when they came and they brought their instruments and started drumming and singing and uh, chanting and calling out Black Rock. Now, I have to tell you, Jody, you were with me in the early days when we started protesting um, Black Rock, and there were maybe about a dozen of us. So over the last year and a half, I'm elated to see that there are thousands of people now taking on um, this uh, investment firm. Well, so- that's kind of your... your um- saying the same thing Lindsay said that I think the listeners really have to realize it's that when they're doing an act, maybe it feels small and, and insignificant, but every one of these acts layers. And so Lindsay was saying, you know, you've been recycling and using less straws and et cetera, et cetera. But now to take that into these engagements weekly and, and really Mm -hmm. find what is the thing you can engage with? How can you do it? And taking it from just not the what am I not doing into the what am I doing. And and that's great for you to say that it started with nothing and now it's escalated to all these people. You've mm-hmm. you've led a bunch of campaigns to really uh, get under the skin of Larry Fink and, and BlackRock. I'm wondering what you learned. I mean, especially like when you, you found out that uh, IRC was giving him the Humanitarian of the Year Award. Yeah, last year the International Rescue Committee had the audacity to give um, him a humanitarian award. And, you know, I, 
I've been at these refugee camps in northern Iraq and Greece and talked to survivors of uh, U.S. and NATO-led wars, and I've seen the horrid conditions they live in, and I and what I realized, what I, what I really saw is how the act, the act of war-making and refugee aid agencies really rely on one another. It is an absolute uh, dance, um, a yin and yang of, um, of war and displacement of people um, that really uh, takes place. But one thing I wanted to talk about, and you all brought it up, was um, that war is not green. And, and that is the message that um, we have at Code Pink. And it's a message that was uh, taken to the streets on Friday at the Youth Climate March. And, you know, addressing the military's large contribution to climate uh, change. I don't know if you saw the Brown University a report that came out earlier this year. It's from the Watson Institute, and they, um, in the study, they talk about what we've been talking about for years is that the U.S. spends more on the military. It requires energy, mostly in the form of fossil fuel. Um, the military is the largest producer of greenhouse gases. So we have two issues here. We have people and the planet, and Investment firms like BlackRock, they'll say that we care for people and the planet. But how is that possible if they're investing in the top weapon manufacturers in the world? And how the military is the largest polluter? Let's look at um, the war in Iraq. The U.S. invasion led to a spike in carbon dioxide emissions, which resulted in the poisoning of the environment. Uh, let's look, let's also look at another example, the U.S. military bases in Afghanistan, you know, with the so-called uh, burn pits um, on the bases. Uh, the environment has become so toxic in some of these places that there are elevated rates of cancer as well as birth defects. And this is what our future generation has to deal with. This is what we are leaving behind for the youth to clean up. No wonder they're taking to the streets. No wonder the youth are waging lawsuits. Um, this is what they have to clean up. And although you and I have been in the streets trying to end these endless wars, um, it, they are left with the results. But not only do we have um, these endless wars, we also have the situation with people. There's displacement and the death of civilian populations, which fuel mass migrations and creates refugee crisis, which is why it made me so um, uh, crazy when the International Rescue Committee <laughs> decided to give Larry Fink, the largest investor of weapons of war, a humanitarian award. So we we waged the campaign. We brought it to the attention of their CEO, David Miliband, and had a sit-down meeting with him. Uh, we decided to throw our own alternative humanitarian award uh, ceremony outside of, of their big event in Manhattan. Um, but it was just a, an interesting way to expose how these large NGOs really do rely on the military-industrial complex to stay in business. Well, I think, you know, one of the things in watching you do that campaign that I thought was interesting is that you really woke up uh, David Meliban. I mean, they do this so unconsciously that when you rattle their cage and say, what are you doing? He had to sit down and talk to you and say, wow, we, you know, that wasn't very good and we're, you know, down the road too far. But they were embarrassed, and you kind of pulled down their pants and showed them what they were doing. And I think that's a lot of um, what our activism is, is power, money. You know, it's so used to just getting away with murder um, mm -hmm. that uh, standing in, in the way and, and holding up the mirror is really effective. And I think Larry Fink is a great example to use because mm -hmm. here's this guy that goes around – 
touting himself as socially responsible and saying everything he did. I'm the socially responsible investor when, you know, he's so destructive. And I think you have a few other campaigns um, that where you're using another something like IRC to show them, wait, you have this this guy on your board. What are, what are those? Right. So um, Larry Fink is on the board of MoMA, Museum of Modern Arts, uh, there in New York City. And we are supporting the efforts of uh, a great coalition called the Decolonize This Place. Um, and they've had an ongoing divestment campaign focusing on BlackRock and Larry Fink. Um, and then he also sits on the board of uh, Nature Conservancy. Uh, I would love to get uh, Lindsay's feedback on, on this, them being the largest environmental organization uh, in the U.S. and probably in the world. And knowing what we know about uh, Larry Fink being the largest investors in weapon, uh, weapons of war and Amazon deforestation, does the Nature Conservancy, Conservancy want the lar- that largest investor to be sitting on its board? I mean, I would think not. Having Larry Fink as a member on their board only um, greenwashes uh, the the work that they're doing. So um, we're going to outreach to the organization, and hopefully we'll get a conversation with them kind of like we did with the IRC and um, expose Larry Fink for who he truly is. And he's not a man of um, aiming for social responsibility. He's a man interested in maximizing his return on investment. That's it. That's the bottom line. Yeah, like we say, he's making a killing on killing. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, what we learned with the IRC is how deeply embedded Wall Street is in these things that say they're doing good. And I think decolonize this place is, you know, using it in the same way as here we look at these museums and then we look at the Nature Conservancy and we see it's all the same team holding hands, raising each other up and really devastating the world. But, you know, behind behind the curtains and you're really helping to expose that not just for BlackRock, but I think for the whole system that we call the war economy. So um what are ways that um, people that are listening can get engaged in some of these campaigns? How do they find you? What can they do? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, listeners um, should go to our website, uh, codepink.org. Um, we have a, a whole array of different campaigns uh, to plug into. Um, for those in uh, your listeners in New York City, uh, you can outreach to our campaign organizer, Rose, at CodePink.org. Or if you would like to learn more about the BlackRock uh, campaign, it's part of our larger divestment uh, campaign. Um, We believe divestment can be used to radically change the way we think about the military-industrial complex, war-making, and peace. But you can send me an email at BlackRock at CodePink.org. Um, if you are interested or if you need any help um, with uh, with your campaign. So here's a way to get engaged both to save the planet and lives um, because uh, war is not green. So a good way to, mm-hmm. to be engaged. On that, um, today um, at the Code Pink website, uh, the team just put up a new article. It's called 10 Ways That the Climate Crisis and Militarism Are Intertwined. Um, so Nancy, like, um, do you, you want to talk through that together with me? Uh, I, you know, the starter is the U S military protects big oil and other extractive industries. What's one of the other ones? Okay. Let me just, uh, so I don't, I don't know if everybody knows that there's over 800 U S military bases around the world. Um, and they're usually in resource-rich regions um, with the, you know, the really strategic shipping lanes. So if you think the military is there to support the country, really they're there to support corporations. And I think that's, you know, what we continue mm-hmm. to see is that tie between Wall Street and the military. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's go back to your first point on 
military protects big oil. So um, if we look at, um, you know, the, the Iraq war, a war based on oil, we look at the saber rattling that's happening around Iran, uh, possibly another war um, that will be based on uh, big oil. Um, so, um, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Just, just war itself mm-hmm. seems to be driven by, by big oil. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the very first mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, also the Pentagon is the largest institutional consumer of fossil fuels in the world. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they, are, they do consume a lot of uh, energy. Um, yeah, greater than the entire nations of Sweden, yeah. Norway, and Finland. So, like, just mm-hmm. think about that. When we're trying to make a difference... Stopping funding the Pentagon is a huge way to leverage a lot of change. Not just that, Mm -hmm. but they have 560,000 buildings around the world taking up Mm -hmm. lighting, heating, and cooling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like as we're talking about that, that's, you know, they're consuming that, but they're also, that's consuming the money that we need to be taking care of people. I mean, one of the things we do at Code Pink is, I mean, our mission is to end war and bring that money home to the life-giving needs of our community. And when you just think about that consumption, that's money that could be going to healthcare, education, and the needs of our communities. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, another thing is the Pentagon monopolizes the funding we need to seriously address climate, the climate crisis. Um, oh, right. It could fund over, the, the, yeah. yeah, it mm-hmm. could fund the Green New Deal. Right. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you um, talked about the toxic legacy that they leave that, yeah. you know, I don't think people think about that but across the world when we go to visit places you know including like okinawa where the entire land around okinawa is just fully to talk it's toxic unlivable and that was that's war and you know we we contaminate drinking water um that it's the cleanups uh i think the pentagon has already spent something like $12 billion on environmental cleanups. So that's $12 billion that could have gone to paying off all the college loans. Mm-hmm. And it's not just uh, in wars abroad. It's even here at home um, in parts of um, California uh, where there used to be bases. Those areas are deemed toxic and unlivable. Um, and um, there's attempts to try to clean up those areas. So um, there's that toxic legacy at home and abroad. And I'm just going to go back to the outrage that the young people are, um, are, are sharing with us. This is what we're leaving them with. And it's just um, unfortunate. Well, yeah, you, so, you talked earlier mm-hmm. about Iraq, but also, you know, mm-hmm. the Israeli um, bombing of the Gaza Strip. I, I mean, that just is devastating what we've done there. I think they, they, we've contaminated 97% of their water, some, some horrible number. Yes, yes. Um, it, it ravages fragile ecosystems that are crucial to sustaining human health and climate resilience. Um, absolutely, um, the ongoing occupation um, is devastating lives, um, bringing on uh, disease and heart uh, cancer, leukemia within the Ga- uh, Gaza Strip. Um, it's a threat multiplier that makes already dangerous social and political situations even worse. So we have. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So as I, I don't know, as as you're we're saying all this, I'm just realizing um, none of this gets spoken about when Pompeo and everybody yesterday is driving us to a war with Iran. I mean, just kind of going through all this under, you know, they were basically lying yesterday, but, but underneath the like, let's just go to war on Iran. 
none of this gets spoken about. You know, there aren't any warnings about how much it costs, what's it going to do the planet, what's it going to do the people, how further destabilizing is it going to be. I mean, war, what is it good for? I want to give people a chance to call in and ask you questions, Nancy. So the number to call is 212-209-2877. And um, we can keep talking while we wait um, for a caller. But Mm -hmm. Uh, You're absolutely right. And fantastic action yesterday uh, in New York and bringing um, the message of uh, no war uh, to the powers that be, the decision makers, the people who are drafting these economic sa- uh, sanctions coming out of our U.S. Uh, Treasury Department. Um, so that that's needed, and that's the kind of action that we need others to engage in. And um, if you go to our website, uh, if you email us, um, we can definitely go ahead and help you, help your listeners participate and uh, join in an action and help us stop a potential war on Iran. So, Nancy, it sounds like we have a caller. Hello? Caller, yes. Hi. What's your name? Um, Rose. Rose? Mm-hmm. Hi, Rose. Where are you from? Brooklyn. Awesome. What, um, what question do you have for Nancy? Uh, hi. Hi, Rose. Hi, hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Great. Um, I was, I tuned in as you were finishing up with Liz, I think her name is? Lindsay, Um, Lindsay, Lindsay, Allen, yes. Yeah, so she was saying her website, uh, but I couldn't make out whether it's Rand or Rant or, (laughs) how do you spell it? R A N dot o-r-g oh right okay it wasn't a d sounds like rand okay cool um great do you have any other questions all you do that's, <laughs> if i have a question yeah do you have any questions for nancy no i just wanted to know what the website was all right thank you thank you thanks for all you guys do though thank you All right. Well, Nancy, thank you for joining me today. And for all you do, people can get more engaged at BlackRock at CodePink.org. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Thank you, Jody. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So, again, this is Jody with Code Pink Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C., um, I want to tell you a couple things that you can do this week in New York City. Tomorrow, Friday, we have Stand with Kashmir. It's a protest at the UN. Many of you have signed our petition um, about the war on, Kash- on Kashmir. And you can join us at Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. This is a rally in the support of the right of self-determination for Kashmiris and ending the occupation of Kashmir. The other thing is tomorrow, uh, it's a general strike for climate over colonialism. It's at 3 to 5.30, Sunset Park and Recreation Center in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. We view the fight against climate destruction as just one part of the fights against racism, colonialism, fascism, and capitalism. We believe that the frontline communities must be the most audible, visible, and powerful people in this fight. And as a tool in that fight, we're starting to build the power of ultimate direct action, the general strike. So join in tomorrow so you can learn more. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for engaging to end war. You can reach us at codepink.org.
Code Pink Radio here on WBAI 99.5 FM and WBAI.org on the web. Great having Jody Evans in studio here at 99.5 FM WBAI. A joint collaboration with our sister station, one of our sister stations in Washington, D.C., WPFW.org. And uh, one, of the, the, one of the greatest things that has happened uh, in recent months is this collaboration between sister radio stations. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up next at noon will be the Gary Null Show. So please stay tuned for the Gary Null Show here over WBAI. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a celebration. The award-winning Midnight Ravers can now be heard every Friday from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. So wake the town and tell the people. We'll continue to present the best in music, history and social commentary, along with expert discussion of the important issues and events of today and yesteryear. So keep it locked into WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM. The Midnight Ravers, where every show is a special. This is Phil Donahue. And you're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5. Hello, people. This is Howard Jordan of the Jordan Journal. And every Friday from 3 to 5 p.m., we will be providing you with the utmost coverage of the issues of the day. Every Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. Stay tuned. Listen to the Jordan Journal. And don't forget to make a donation to the station. And like I tell you every week, God loves you. And I do, too. technical and creative team that has brought to these airwaves many of the most profound radio dramas to ever be transmitted will come together once again to present on Saturday, November 16th, 2019, something you have never witnessed before. Prepare yourself. W-B-A-I in New York, the creative team. You better believe it. Stick around. The Gary Knoll Show is coming up in just a moment. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. One of the things we need to institute a little more around here at WBAI. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is radio station WBAI at 99.5 FM, WBAI.org on the web. And we encourage you to visit that website and consider becoming a sustaining member or BAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. You can help sustain and support this commercial free radio station. It's 12 noon coming up next.